turn once again, if you would, to Exodus chapter 10. We looked last Sunday at God's baffling statement. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go because I've hardened his heart. And we'll see tonight how successful that mission of Moses is. Obviously, it doesn't get the people released. But it does show us about God, and that's what Exodus is. The book about the identity of God. Who is the Lord? As Pharaoh asks. And in this eighth plague, he reveals himself as the one who judges those who stand against him. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things which I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me, or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, evil is ahead of you. Not so, go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord and the Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. Let's pray. Father, help us to stand face to face with this text, to contemplate 
its message of the difficulty of true repentance and of your power to fight those who stand against your people. Father, above all, don't let us be like Pharaoh and ask that you would simply remove the bad consequences of our sin while letting us persist in that sin. Help us to hate our sin, we beg, by showing us this tyrant Pharaoh and how you dealt with him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the seventh plague was climactic. Obviously, it was the seventh. But the eighth plague is a match for it. The hail of the seventh plague came and destroyed every green thing in the land of Egypt. And the locusts here come and do the same thing again, perhaps a few weeks or a month later. What the plague shows us is our God. His power to stand against those who would harm His people and the difficulty of true repentance. There's danger in hardening yourself against God's judgments, and Pharaoh is running right into that danger. So Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, and they demand that he humble himself before God. That's what God wants. Pharaoh, kneel. Stop fighting me over who has the right to the service of these people. Of course, Pharaoh is not interested in that. And so, Moses and Aaron simply deliver the threat. Well, they deliver the command. Humble yourself. Let my people go. And then the threat. Hail is coming, or locusts are coming, and they will eat everything. And then, as soon as that threat is delivered, worst locusts ever, your father's fathers have never seen anything like it, Moses and Aaron simply turn and walk out. They don't wait to hear Pharaoh say no. They already know what the answer is going to be. They deliver their message, and then they leave. Well, there's a little bit of progress here. As Pharaoh's servants say, let the men go. After the first seven plagues, Pharaoh's servants are saying, enough. Egypt can't deal with this. Don't you know that Egypt is destroyed? Now, any, anything that you're going to say to a monarch like Pharaoh that begins with the words, don't you know, is a very risky thing to say. Pharaoh doesn't like being reminded of his ignorance or being told that he doesn't know certain things. And yet, that's what the courtiers tell him because they're so desperate to avoid another plague. Their property, their food, their houses are on the line every bit as much as anything that belongs to Pharaoh, possibly even more so. So they take their life in their hands and say, don't you know? And Pharaoh consents, therefore, to send somebody out to the courtyard and get Moses and Aaron. Negotiations can continue. Right? For the first time, in other words, in the series of plagues, Pharaoh betrays an interest in talking further. He grabs them and brings them back. And then Pharaoh makes his counteroffer. Go! Serve the Lord your God. 
Right? Good, Pharaoh, thank you. Except he can't help himself. Yes, the Israelites can serve, but and Pharaoh announces his limits. Who's going? And Moses says, everyone's going. And Pharaoh says, oh, no, they're not. Right, we're back to the same issue. Are the Israelites the servants of Pharaoh or the servants of Yahweh? Who has the right to the service of these Hebrew slaves? And Pharaoh can't let them go. He won't humble himself before God. And therefore he says, you can't take these three things. You who are men, go. In other words, don't take your family. Your family can't go. Family stays in Egypt. The wives and children are mine, and they stay with me, says Pharaoh. The world, the flesh, and the devil repeat this same line. Don't make your family serve God. If you want faith to be important to you, that's great. Don't force it on them. Don't drag your children to church, to family worship. You're just driving them away from God. That's what the world, the flesh, and the devil say. Don't offer your family in service to God. Serve God for yourself. Don't ask them to do it. And don't make your children especially do it. Again, right? Pharaoh wants to keep the children. The future of Israel, he claims as his. They're mine. And, right, what does the flesh and the devil whisper in our ears? Your children are going to turn against God if you make them sit here and do this boring family worship. They're not going to like it. The best way to disciple them is to let them have it their own way. Don't fight them. Go with them. That's the voice of Pharaoh. Don't take your children. Children are not to be servants of God. And finally, wealth. Right? Moses said, we'll take our flocks and our herds. All the land in Egypt, since the time of Joseph, as we understand it, belonged to Pharaoh. Therefore, the only available form of capital is livestock. To take your flocks and your herds is to take the wealth that you have accumulated. And Pharaoh says, your money is mine. Capital belongs to me. There's no foreign direct investment. You aren't going to take those animals and leave this country. Not going to happen. Don't dedicate the contents of your bank account or your retirement account to serving the Lord. Don't use your house to serve God. Make sure your car and land stay out of it. That's what the world, the flesh, and the devil still say. We have the right to this service. Don't spend on serving God. They might go on. You can worship, sure, but don't give 10%. Church leaders are just greedy. You can worship, but don't volunteer. Definitely don't serve in an elected position. You can worship, but don't contribute. That's what Pharaoh says. Yeah, go worship the Lord. Just don't take your animals. Don't take your wealth. It's Pharaoh who tells you that your capital your time, your money, your assets should not be used to serve God. 
It's God who claims everything we have and says, this is mine. You should use your time helping that widow, helping that elderly gentleman. You should babysit for that family. Loan your car to that other family who needs one. Pharaoh says, don't do it. Your wealth is yours. Or better, your wealth is mine. God says, no, your wealth is mine. So God sends the plague. Well, Pharaoh tries to assert his dominance. Once again, they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence at the end of verse 11. You turned on your heel and left. You don't do that to Pharaoh. Now we're going to force you out of here. It's the opposite of you can't fire me, I quit. You can't leave without my permission. Now get out! Pharaoh is desperate to show that he's still in charge of the situation, and so he resorts to absurd and petty maneuvers like driving out Moses and Aaron. And yet, Moses brings the plague down, the locusts come, they eat everything, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron. And this is fascinating. Verse 16, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron, and he opens his mouth, and a bunch of Christianese falls out. The easiest language in the world to learn. And Pharaoh, who didn't know the Lord, by the eighth plague, has mastered this language. Right? We're triggered right away when we see this vocabulary. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin. Oh, wait. That's, that's Bible talk. You don't find that concept in other religions. That's certainly not present in the ancient Egyptian conception of things. Pharaoh wasn't brought up on sin and forgiveness. Those aren't concepts that would resonate with him. And yet, he's got these words out of the Bible, and he says them now. And what's even more amazing, really, than that he's saying these Christian words, is that he's at least giving lip service to this idea of a moral law that binds him as well as other people. Pharaoh is the god of Egypt. Whatever he wants is right by definition. And yet now he's learned enough about the Lord to realize that at least on God's terms, he has sinned. That there is a moral law that applies equally to him and to his slaves. He steps off his pedestal of divinity and announces, like the prodigal sons, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. It's progress, but it's not very much progress. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Okay, Pharaoh, you've sinned. Great, you know some Christianese. What is your sin? What sin have you committed? And are you still committing it? Or have you stopped committing it? Is it the sin of not letting the people go? You know, the thing you've been fighting with God over for probably the last eight or ten months? Or is it the sin of getting busted and having an invasion of locusts? It's real nonspecific about the sin. He doesn't say what the sin is. And yet he begs forgiveness for it. 
please don't hold this sin against me. And again, brothers and sisters, in doing so, he nails us. I'm going to be good from now on. If you'll forgive me this time, I'll never need to ask again. Right? He literally says that. Forgive me just this once. I will never sin again. I'm in control of my sin to the point where I can assure you that it won't happen again. Even though it's still happening. He hasn't let the people go, but that, you know, is irrelevant. Sounds like us dealing with our sin. Yeah, I did that wrong. I sinned against God. I hurt you. Please forgive me and pray for me. And the whole time we studiously avoid the bigger issue. Pharaoh certainly does here. Namely, of course, the issue of why you're persisting in your sin. Yeah, I looked at porn again. Sorry. Pray for me. Yeah, I got so upset with my kids or boss that I yelled and screamed at them. Sorry. Pray for me. Yeah, I'm stealing from work. I don't think anyone's found out. I'm sorry. Pray for me. Right, that's the pattern that Pharaoh gives. Yeah, I'm sinning. Forgive me. Pray for me. But the pray for me is specifically linked to this. Entreat the Lord your God to take away from me this death only. Right? I only want prayer for one thing. Get rid of the locusts. That's all I ask. All I want is for the consequences of my sin to go away. And if you would direct your prayers to that end, I would be most grateful. Right? He asks God to spare him from death. He calls the locusts death because they are. They eat all the food. He asks God to spare him from death without freeing him from sin. Does that sound familiar? How many times have you and I asked God to take away death without taking away sin? To release us from sin's consequences without releasing us from sin. Pharaoh goes down this path of saying, God, in my case, would you please uncouple cause and effect? Sin brings death. If you could just unhook that little connection such that my sin won't bring death. That's all I'm asking. Take away this death. We like to think that God will do that. Oh yeah, my sin is bad, but he can just detach it from the rest of my life and from the consequences of sin. I can drink too much and stay sober. I can eat too much and stay, stay thin. I can yell at my kids and have a great relationship with them. Because cause and effect don't apply to me. I've asked God. He'll take away the consequences of my sin. I can live for this world and for God. I can serve God and mammon. There's Pharaoh. I can live for me and serve myself as the God of Egypt. And I can ask God to give me the life that comes from serving God. Pharaoh lived to serve and glorify Pharaoh, not to serve and glorify God. And so when you pray like that for a contradiction, 
When you ask God to take you to heaven and life when you're racing at top speed toward hell and death, what does he do? Well, it tells us. God turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. What is Moses telling us? Yeah, God will take away the lesser consequence that you're praying against. He can do that. And give you a worse one in its place. Such hardening is often a direct result of God taking away the punishment you don't like. You don't like being told you're a money worshiper and you fight back hard enough that people stop telling you. Then you feel better. You're hardened in your money worshiping ways, but you feel more righteous than ever before because people are no longer coming to you and saying, you have a problem with money. You feel less guilt, not because you're less guilty, but only because you're more hardened. Or name your sin. It makes you feel just sick with guilt. So you ask God to make you feel better so that guilt isn't so crippling in your life. What does he do? He deadens your conscience so you don't feel so bad and can plunge ahead in your sin without guilt messing up your life. That's what God did for Pharaoh. He removed the work locusts and sent a worse plague, the plague of hard-heartedness. He can remove whatever external consequences we don't like and send a worse plague, that plague of hard-heartedness. Repentance is not as easy as it looks. Christian ease is easy. Saying, forgive me, is easy. Announcing that you'll be good in the future is easy. Saying, pray for me, is easy. But actually turning away from your sin, naming your sin, saying, I'm doing this, and I want to stop, and here's a viable plan for stopping. That's hard. Exodus is the book of the knowledge of God, and this eighth plague shows us how difficult repentance is. Pharaoh is actually trying at some level to meet Moses halfway. The men can go worship. That's a pretty big concession. After saying no seven times, but it's not real repentance. It's not actually turning away from his sin of pride and stubbornness that said, God's people are my servants not God's servants. So how do we repent? We have the power of God, the power of the Spirit to help us. And we need it. We can't repent on our own. The point is not whether you can speak Christianese, but whether you know Christ. If you know Him, trust Him for the grace to turn away from sin cry out to Him and recognize that it's so easy to want your sin to be left with the consequences taken away. I enjoy this sin. Don't remove the sin. Just take away the death. But the eighth plague shows us that we have to get rid of the sin as well as the death. 
or else we'll know the hardening that comes from God, who says, okay, have your sin, and I'll make it so you don't even feel bad about it. You have the power to repent and believe because the Spirit has given it to you. Use it. Let's pray. Father, help us to truly repent, to truly deal with the root issues of our sin, to bring them to you and to kill them. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for tolerating sin in our hearts, in our mouths, in our hands and eyes and feet. Lord, help us to hate sin, to flee from it, and to live as you have called us to. Show mercy. Give us true repentance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.